Good. So how many of you, you know who Ted Turner is? Ted Turner? You know, everybody knows who Ted Turner is. The, the TV mogul, uh, millionaire, billionaire, whatever he is, heir. He's got more money than I do and probably most of you, at least by our tithing records, I would assume that. <laughs> Ted Turner, uh, interesting background. By the way, I don't know what you tithe, so I'm just, just guessing, though. Uh, Ted Turner... When he was a young man, uh, expressed a faith in Christ and a desire to follow Christ. But when he got older, he now says he's an agnostic. And Fortune magazine, a few years ago, it was an interview, and they interviewer asked him, are you still agnostic? If you don't know what agnostic means, an atheist says there is no God. An agnostic is a more intelligent position, if there is one of those two, that says, I don't know. I don't know if there's a God or maybe there is, maybe there's not. He said, yes, I'm still agnostic. But here's the funny thing. He said, but I still pray for other people. If I have a friend who is sick or in need, I pray for them. And he said this, hey, what can it hurt? <laughs> well, I want to tell you, if a person knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they're praying, it's not what can it hurt, it's it can move the world if it's done properly. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Now, two weeks ago, before the great winter storm of Ruston, we, we looked at half of this sermon. Remember, I've tried to, I preached it before I came out, and it was like 45 minutes long and two Two twenty minutes is always better than a forty-five minute in the Baptist church. So we're gonna we're gonna pick up with this great prayer. One scholar says this is the greatest New Testament teaching on 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 prayer in the whole New Testament. It's fantastic about how to pray for yourself, how to pray for other people, uh, and and how to pray for our church and for our world. Great truths in it. Now, what I'm going to take about five minutes and just quickly review what we did two weeks ago because none of you remember if you didn't take notes and again it was 20 degrees 10 degrees and 80 degrees in the last two weeks so your mind has been frozen and melted so a quick review of what we looked at the first thing is this prayers a lifetime commitment verse 9 so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you God's writing this through Paul to the people in Colossae Colossa is a small town in Central Asia. It's near Laodicea. Laodicea, as mentioned, is the lukewarm church, remember, in Revelation, where God says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, which are those, you never forget that when you heard that as a kid. Paul, God is writing this through Paul, probably about 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul is in the Holiday Inn Express, and if you stay there, you can do anything, including write Bible letters, Right? Now, Paul is under, are y'all, <laughs> Paul is under house arrest in Rome, possibly chained to a praetorian guard, that's our version of a, of a highly elite soldier, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, it's in this context, and he's writing these people, the church is small in Colossae, that being a Christian is not popular. In fact, they're getting persecuted for their faith. There's some probably internal struggles in the church too, like there is in a lot of churches. Uh, a group called, uh, or a teaching called Gnosticism is beginning to rear its ugly head, and it's in Colossae too. Gnosticism is based on the, the Greek word gnosis, which is for knowledge. And Gnosticism, there's different branches of it, but basically it, Gnosticism 
taught that Jesus Christ really didn't come in the flesh. He, he really wasn't a man. Very false teaching, by the way. And that th- th- to grow with God, you had to have some special, deep, super spiritual knowledge of God. And it's in this context that he's writing. And remember, this is so important. Paul has never met these people in his life. He's not Facebook friends with them. He's not Snapchatting them, if you know what that is. He's not on Instagram with them. Uh, because all that's 2,000 years from existing. And so he's showing us some things about prayer. You, you go, well, I don't know how to pray for I don't know who those people are. Some really great principles. And one of the things he says right off the bat is when we heard, when I learned about you, we have not ceased to pray for you. Keep praying. Prayer's a lifetime commitment. Prayer's a lifetime commitment. Now, Is there a time when you should stop praying about something? Yes, when God clearly shuts that door or God whispers in your ear, no, that's not going to happen. But so much of life, we need to keep, keep, keep praying. Prayer is a lifetime commitment. Number two, real quick, you you pray for yourself and others to know God's will. To know God's will. Look in verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. A complete knowledge of his will. That's a picture of that that glass being filled up with M&M's. So the M&M's are just rolling out of it. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Or that ice cream. Did you know there is a king cake bluebell today out? My daughter... Uh, Text me that this morning. One of our beautiful, wonderful church members, Elizabeth, was showing me that. I had to go preach with that on my mind. You can tell what's on my mind now. Is the, uh, the, the king cake bluebell. I don't even know where I'm going now, but I guess it's that king cake bluebell overflowing out of your bow. He says, I want you, I want you and I want those you know to know what God wants for you to. Gnosticism was based on some super spiritual knowledge that really didn't exist. And the word knowledge used here in your Bibles is to have an exact practical knowledge of what God wants you to do. How many of you want to know what God wants you to do? Ask God to fill you with that knowledge. Ask God to fill your kids and your grandkids and your church as a church. We need to know God's will ongoing. The word will is that great word. It means a divine purpose, what should be and what creates joy. Pray that we'll know God's will. Number three, pray that you and others will do God's will. Gnostics were like a lot of modern-day Christians. They wanted knowledge so they can go around and say they knew knowledge and be puffed up and win the debate. God is never about knowledge for knowledge's sake. If that's what you're chasing, you're missing it. God is wants to give knowledge for transformation, not simply information. Look in verse 10. He says, then when you know God's will, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. See, God wants you to know his will. He wants your kids to know his will. He wants our church to know his will. He wants that missionary that you're praying for overseas that you've never met to know God's will. So they will what? Do God's will. Sounds very simple, it's, it's, but it's not, and you and I both know that. And there's three things he lays out here. I would say these are tests of knowing if we're doing God's will, but they're also things we pray for ourselves and others. When we're doing God's will, pray for this for yourself, that there will be a life that's honoring to God. Then the way you live will honor and please the Lord, a life that's worthy of God. Hey, folks, when a church is in God's will, it's living in a way, doing church in a way that honors God. When you're in God's will, that person you're praying for, pray that their life will be something that honors God. Here's the second thing he says. 
quick review. Pray that there'll be a life that's bearing good fruit. Verse 10 again. And that your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Bearing fruit there is a present tense. It's a continual action. A lot of us brag about what we used to do for God. He said, I want you to continue to bear good fruit. The word good means beneficial or what's useful or profitable. Hey, pray that those in your life, pray for you, that you will live a life that's beneficial and that's profitable and that matters. And then lastly, this last part of this summary is, is a life that's growing closer to God. Man, we're praying for ourselves. We're praying for other people that will know, will do God's will. And part of that will be a life that's growing closer to God. The last part of verse 10, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And that's the, knowing God there is experiential. It's, it's growing your intimacy with God. So Paul's praying for them. Paul's praying for himself. You pray for yourself. You pray for me. You pray for your family. That you will know God's will, that you'll do God's will. And man, that you will continually grow in your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Now here is where we pick up this week. And I think this is really great stuff too. In fact, it made it in the Bible. It's probably pretty good, isn't it? Here's the next thing. Man, pray for God's power. Pray for God's power. Let's pause for a second. How many of you know a situation that's a train wreck? Figuratively. How many of you can look at a situation in your life, your extended family, in our community, in our country, where you're going, my goodness, if something doesn't happen, this is going to be bad. How many of you agree we need God's power? Amen, we need God's power. I want to show you something. Well, I'll show you in just a second. Verse 11. Look in verse 11. We pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power. Man, the words here are fantastic. That word strengthened means to grow strong. Glorious is the great word for the Shekinah glory of God. And the word power is in the inherent power of of God. Now, here's a great little thing. The word strengthen and the word power in our Bibles comes from a Greek word. Both of them come from the same Greek root word. We get our English word dynamite. When you think of dynamite, I think of power, don't you? And dynamite has power in and of itself to, to explode and to make an impact, correct? If you don't believe me, put it in your mailbox and run real fast and see what, or put it in someone you don't like's mailbox and run real fast. It's powerful. And as powerful as dynamite is, here's what he's saying. I want you to pray for your life, for your church. This is what so many of our churches are lacking. For that family member, that friend, or that situation. That the power of God, the glorious, magnificent, inherent, unlimited power of God will get in the middle of it. And change the game. That's a great prayer, isn't it? When was the last time you complained about something? Please don't raise your hand and speak. Two minutes ago in your head? (laughs) Ten minutes ago, right before church? When was the last time you asked the power of God to get involved in that situation and change it? That's what he's saying here. Man, pray that the inherent power of God will be involved in your lives 
in the lives of those you love, in your church, in your school, in your community, where you work. Several years ago in England, they did a, a pretty interesting, massive survey of people. One of the questions they asked them, what do, you, do you believe there's a God? And if you do, what do you think he's like or she's like? Their questions, not mine. And, and the responses were interesting. One person literally said, I believe in a God, but not a supernatural God. I just believe in an ordinary kind of God. Let me tell you something. If you've read this book, he is not an ordinary kind of God. Amen? He's a God that is all-powerful. So we're praying for God's power. Now, he lists three areas of, of power that's needed, and you're going to agree with me when you see. Number one, pray for power the power to endure well, to endure well. And then he says also in here, you look in verse 11, we pray that you will be strengthened with glorious power, that you will have endurance and patience. We're going to look at the endurance first because they're two different Greek words and two different English words. How many of you agree we don't endure and we're not very patient? I don't think we are. I think these statistics are, and these are not old, but I think they are outdated. On the phone, the average American loses patience at about nine minutes of being on hold. I think that's crazy. It's about five at my house. Waiting in line at a grocery store or an office, it takes an average of 17 minutes. Women have a longer endurance level than men. Before they get upset, I don't know about you, but 18 minutes, I'm, I'm not patient at that point probably. People with lower incomes and less education are more patient than those with college educations and higher incomes. Some of that may be a little bit of entitlement, maybe, I don't know. People who live in the suburbs are more patient than people who live in the city. Uh, maybe so, I don't know about that. At the, at the average red light... We endure for 45 seconds before we hit the horn. I think that's not true at all. How many of you are going to hit the horn tonight about 30 seconds when that person in front of you and the light's green and they're doing like this? I'm hitting it at 30. I'll wait till 30. We don't endure well. Here's what he says. Pray, pray to God for endurance. Now, in your Bibles or if you're taking notes, the word endurance means to, to abide under. It means to persevere. And the difference is endurance is talking about circumstances. Patience, we'll see in a moment, is talking about something else. Pray that God's power, the glorious power of God, will help you be able to endure well the circumstances you're facing. Paul is in prison. House arrest, chained to a guard. That's not good circumstances. He does not even have the remote. Man, y'all are bad tonight. Paul knew what it was like to say, God, help me. This is killing me. The people in Colossae were in bad circumstances. And he was saying, I'm praying for you that God will empower you to endure the junk that you are having to go through. Man, don't you need that tonight? Don't raise your hand, but you've got pain. You got pain at work, you got pain with the boss, you got pain with employees. Your kids have troubled circumstances at school. Teachers, you got troubled circumstances with those same kids. Sports is wonderful, it can cause you problems. 
You look at your finances or you got a health issue, whatever it is. And what God said to them and he says to us, pray for yourself, pray for those you love, pray for people you don't even know that you're praying for, that God will give his strength and power so that we can endure that circumstance well. That's a good word, isn't it? Pray that for yourself. Listen, I am not downplaying your circumstances or situation at all, but here's what I can play up. God's power is greater. God's power is greater. Pray for you and for others that you can endure well. Sometimes we endure, we just don't endure well, right? That we endure well. Here's the second thing. Pray for God's power for patience. It's interesting he splits these, but I think you'll see why. We pray that we'll be strengthened with the Shekinah glory power, dynamite power, inherent power of God, that we will have endurance and the patience that you need. The word patience here means to suffer long. The King James sometimes will use this word, and it'll talk about long-suffering. It's self-restraint. It's talking about patience with other people. He's saying, "I, I, I want you to have the power of God to help you be patient with those people who are hard to be patient with. Paul's chained to a guard. We have such a, a false, rosy picture of so much of the New Testament. You think that was fun? You think that those guards are always sweet, nice people to him? No, they despise Jewish people. He was a prisoner. The, the people in Colossae, Christianity, are getting persecuted, getting abused, getting mistreated. Sometimes we got to suffer along with people. Amen? Let's laugh a minute. You ever, is there anybody in your life right now you got to suffer along with? Please don't point at them. Brandon, don't look at Jeremy. And Jeremy, don't point at Brandon. That's just exactly what I told you not to do. Is it an employee, a boss, God forbid, a kid or a parent? Isn't it funny? Kids drive us crazy, and then eventually we get the privilege of driving them crazy if we live long enough. Isn't that good, Alicia? <laughs> I owe you a lot, sweetie. <laughs> Someone said people are the best and people are the worst. People give life to us and they suck it out of us, don't they? You may have to fire them. You may have to tell them they're not going to be on the team anymore. You may make an F. You may have to walk away from them. You may have to live with them. Like God says here, Whatever you're facing, let me rephrase that. Whoever you're facing, you ask God to give you his power to patiently, Christ-like way, handle them. And I don't know about you, but we need that power, don't we? It's almost like he shifts gears and he goes positive here. Pray for the power for a joyful life. Pray for the power of... For a joyful life. See, we're praying for endurance. 
We're praying for patience. But see, that's not good enough in God's agenda. God doesn't want us just to endure and be patient. God wants us to be able to be patient and endure with joy. Look in the last part of verse 11. That you will have all the endurance and patience you need. And may you be filled with joy. The word joy means to rejoice. Remember, joy and happiness look the same. They just have different sources. The happiness comes from what happens. Joy comes from God. So it's possible to maintain that and to stay in that. Joy is a fruit, just like patience is, of walking with God. But patience and joy are something we are to try to work and to, to exhibit in our lives also. How would it change the world if Christians were happy and joyful people? Especially when we're having to put up with a lot of junk. You know, when people come into our church on Sunday, and I hear, man, I hear a lot of wonderful things about you guys. More than I hear about me, I hear about you. I hear you're friendly, you're nice. People need to come into church, and it needs to be a great experience. Amen, church? It needs to be a joyful, happy place. Maybe that's one thing you need to pray for our church, is that, that the power of God will help us be a joyful church, that you will be joyful when you're enduring those bad situations. Some of you are enduring right now, that you'll be joyful dealing patiently with that person that you would like to see move to Beijing tomorrow forever. (laughs) That's the kind of prayer we love God to answer, right? And he seldom does, by the way. Pray that God will give you joy. I heard this today, and and it just went so well, I had to put it in the sermon. Willpower is a great thing, but it's limited. I read a book last year that talked about willpower, and that that willpower, we have so much, basically we have so much willpower in a day. I think I've used mine up by 7.45 (laughs) a.m. I've looked at those M&Ms, I've looked at them, I've looked at them. And that you have to pick and choose how you discipline yourself because you're not going to be strong all the time. Our willpower is limited, but the power of God is unlimited. Pray for God's power in your life. Pray for God's power in those lives of the people that you love and you care about. For endurance, patience, and joy. And here's the last thing these verses show us. Don't forget to be continually thankful you were here Sunday morning, we hit on that. Verse 12, always thanking the Father. Always thanking the Father. If you're taking notes, the beautiful word thankful just means to remember remember and recognize a blessing and express it to God, to other people. Here's talking about to God. Always be thankful. He gives us, I'm going to give you two things to be thankful for that I think are, are here. The first thing is thank God for your wonderful salvation. How many of you are planning on going to heaven? How many of you already got your ticket? When was the last time you thanked God for saving you? Well, I thanked him when I got saved and I hadn't since. Give me a break. We ought to thank God every day for saving our soul. Look what it says in verse 12. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to the people who live in the light. Enabled means this. On your own, you and I were headed to hell. Do you know that? Listen, we, we can't save ourselves. 
And when you came to Christ and you reached out in faith and took him, he saved you, regenerated you, cleaned you up, forgave you, justified you, is sanctifying you. And at the moment you were saved, you got a place in heaven. That is not an inheritance that, you, that you'll get on the dotted line Sunday. Your name got written down that moment. Isn't that wonderful? So God has enabled you. In other words, he's made you fit for heaven. Isn't that great? I sure hope we have hair and we don't have calories, but we're fit for it spiritually right now. Isn't that great? Some of you don't want hair and you want to be chubby. I don't. Not in eternity. I want to be able to feel the breeze, you know, as you walk down the streets of gold in your hair. See the bangs in front of your eyes, which has been many years. Literally, the idea here is of a transfer. A transfer of, of uh, ownership. See, at one time, you and I belonged to the devil. <laughs> now we belong to God. And, and when you got saved, God transferred ownership of you to him. And he transferred your eternity to heaven. Man, thank God for saving you. Those people you know that are saved, thank God for saving them. Who aren't saved, ask God to save them. But thank God for your salvation. And lastly, man, just continually be thankful. Verse 12, always thanking the Father. Thank God for saving you. Thank God for blessing you. You, you, you and I can't sincerely thank God enough. Listen, thanking God, it's easy to say, well, that's just elementary Christianity. You never outgrow thanking God. In fact, the more you grow in Jesus Christ, the more thankful you're going to be. Two plus two equals what? Equals four. If you're working on your Ph.D. in physics at Tech, what does two plus two equal? You never outgrow it, do you? Thanksgiving may be, that may be something a a six-year-old Christian should be doing. But if you're 96 and you've been saved 90 years, you ought to be doing it far more. You don't outgrow it. You grow deeper and wider in it. Man, thank God. Be thankful in your prayers. A couple of years ago, George Barnum, who is a Christian author and researcher, had an interesting poll, and I would have loved to have seen this, they asked people, do you consider yourself spiritually mature? 80% said yes. Isn't that funny? That's funny. Believe me, it's funny. 80% of people who said they were born again said, yes, I'm spiritually mature. Puffing out spiritually. Now, 49% of people who said, I'm not born again, consider themselves spiritually deep and mature. By the way, you can't be saved if you're not born again. That's not Baptist, that's Bible. John 3, 3, look it up when you get home. But I, I thought, how do you measure that? Well, there's, there'd be a number of ways. One way you can measure it absolutely here tonight, how's your prayer life? Man, how's your prayer life? If you've been a Christian for just a year or two, man, you may be praying 10 minutes a day. That's great. Some of us have been Christians 20, 30, 40 years. We're not praying 10 minutes a day. That's not maturity. Maturity is not being able to win an argument or to debate in a business meeting. One way you measure maturity is how you pray and the depths of your prayer. Listen, take Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Pray this for yourself and other people. I want to tell you something. As your prayer life grows, as you pray these things, as you become these things, you will truly be a spiritual, mature person. Now, you're here tonight. You're not a Christian. You come and give your life to Jesus. 
We'll meet you over here after church, one of our ministers, and we'll help you come to Christ. If you don't want to walk down an aisle, I understand that. But you give your life to Christ. You have nothing until you have that. You have everything after you have that. Isn't that wonderful? Come and give your life to Christ. Maybe you want to join our church. We would love for you to. You can come down or we'll meet you after church and you can do it. Christian, some of you are doing great with this. Keep it up. Keep it up. Others of us, maybe we're not doing so well. Man, where you're standing at the altar, make a commitment to God to take your spiritual life to the next level. It's your choice. Maybe you'd want to come and let us pray for you. We'd love to do that. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be down here waiting on you.